The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to do two things this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn to the text we're going to walk through in our study of this affirmation from the Apostles' Creed, the communion of the saints, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. But for reading, to uh, before we get there, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the text that Bruce introduced to us at the call to worship, Psalm 133. While I'm reading this, can you in your mind's eye imagine countless hosts coming up the hills of Zion? This is one of the hymns they would have been singing on their way to the temple. Of course, we don't go up the hill of Zion. We go up the hill of Calvary. And we don't go to the temple. We go to the one that the temple pointed to, Jesus But, oh, this blessing, communion of the saints, so declared even in the Old Covenant. Listen to it, Psalm 130. Behold, that is, take a good look. Open your eyes. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God that has been read in your hearing abides forever. Now may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. Well, here we are, number 16. The 16th study of the Apostles' Creed, I remember telling you when we started, I had 18 sermons, and you're probably looking and saying, I think we're going a couple over that. We are. Thank you so much for anticipating that. But here we are in our 16th study. We are in the Apostles' Creed in this glorious statement, I believe in the communion of the saints. Now, let's put it in context, all right? In context, as the creed has been developed for us. This creed has been developed um, as an extra-biblical statement of faith. Now, your Bible actually contains creeds. In fact, this morning, I'm going to read one for you in Ephesians 4. Your Bible contains a number of creeds. Creeds have been given for a number of purposes. One, for use in worship. As we are make a, in worship, we're supposed to make a confession of what we believe. Well, creeds can be used for that, as well as other confessions and catechism questions. But secondly, creeds were also designed as an instrument of discipleship to teach the life for Christ and in Christ. 
And thirdly, they were teach, they were given for protection against false doctrine because Satan is always trying to infiltrate the church with false teaching. So it is given as an instrument of protection uh, for, so that you can evaluate the doctrine being taught from a pulpit. And uh, then, uh, but another thing you're going to find out today is that creeds are actually distillations of biblical truth to help us establish and enjoy and employ the unity of the church, our common confession of faith. They are there to assist us for that purpose and do so as long as they're faithful to God's word. Now, the Apostles' Creed is an extra-biblical creed. It doesn't, it's not a Bible creed. It is a creed to teach things that are in the Bible. Therefore, it is only valuable so long as it has been, so long as it's rooted in God's Word. And therefore, I have attempted to take all of these affirmations and show you where they come from. Remember, the apostrophe is after the S, telling us this is a distillation of New Testament, the apostles give us the New Testament, of apostolic New Testament Christianity, of how the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ and what the Christian life is by establishing in an economic sense a brief, it's only 100 words in the Latin version of the creed, in, in a um, in a economical way to establish us the essentials of the faith. Not all the essentials are in the Apostles' Creed, but... So Christians believe more than what's in the creed, but Christians don't believe less than what's in the creed. So we have attempted to establish, and you may have noted that in our study, I keep going back to two books in the New Testament. I've gone to a number of them, but I keep going back to two primarily, and that's the book of Philippians and the book of Ephesians, because Philippians and Ephesians seem to be their primary source. Those who in the second and third century wrote out the the creed as this instrument for the church seem to be using those two because they follow the form of the form, the laying out of those two epistles, but particularly the book of Ephesians, but also Philippians, specifically chapter two. And that's why we keep going back to those, even like last week, looking at the Holy Catholic Church. Where were we in Ephesians two? This week, we're looking at the, at the church um, in its celebration of the communion of of the saints, and we find ourselves in Ephesians 4. So we keep going back. Now remember the form. It's Trinitarian. It starts off, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. In other words, everything visible and invisible exists by the authority of the sovereign God, and that is specifically looking at God the Father. Secondly, he then moves to God the Son. The, the Apostles' Creed then moves to God's, the, God the Son. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived, and then it goes through a flow. In fact, 75 of the 100 words are found in this statement about Jesus. And it goes from his humiliation to his exalt, following the very pattern of Philippians 2, that where he humbled himself and then God highly exalted him. And you find that pattern right there in that paragraph. First, his humiliation, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, an atoning death, body buried, soul descended to Hades. 
where he w- and the soul was not abandoned to Hades or Sheol, and the body was not corrupted in the grave. But on the third day, he rose again, body and soul, glorified for his 40-day ministry. Then he ascended into heaven. So we move from humiliation to exaltation. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now, the one who finished his work of redeeming his people is now ascending and continuing his work of bringing us in redemption, of maturing the redeemed. How does he do it? The ascended Savior gives gifts to man, and the primary gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now we get to the third paragraph, I believe in the Holy Spirit. He's not an it. He's not a power. He's powerful. He's not a power. He's not a force. He's not an it. He's a person who is powerful, who has not come to bring attention to himself. He has come to bring all attention to Jesus. And he shall come in power. And when he comes in power, you will be my witnesses. You will be the witnesses of Christ in word and deed because of his work. And what is he doing? He is saving the redeemed. He is bringing us from sin to the Savior. He is securing the redeemed. He seals the redeemed. And he is sanctifying. He is maturing the redeemed to bring us to glory. That's his work product. (laughs) So what is the work product of the Holy Spirit? It shows up in that he saves us individually to unite us corporately. So what is the work product of the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Where were we last week? The Holy Catholic Church. That very word Catholic actually comes from the Bible and comes from the creed. It's two Greek words. Kata holia. Kata holiat. And the kata, the holy Holic, it is a trans, that Catholic is a transliteration of those two words. Those words were in the Bible and in the Creed long before there was an organization called the Roman Catholic Church. It was, it means, and it means kata, according to, holia, sound that word, holia, sound that word, whole, universal, the whole church, the universal church, the church Universal, invisible, enrolled in the heavens, made up of all of the elect from all the nations and from all the generations. Those of the elect where Jesus says, I lose not one. It is holy for it. it, They are they are secured by the Holy Spirit. They are led by the Holy. They are directed by the Holy Word and they are saved by the blood of Jesus and the redeeming work that he has accomplished with his righteousness. It is an unmixed, pure church, the body of Christ enrolled triumphant in heaven. Now, the creed turns from The church in heaven, invisible, elect, holy, Catholic, universal, triumphant, now turns to the church visible, militant, 
on mission, on message, in ministry. And then it gives us the culture of that church. Now, I'm about to get into trouble with all of my fellow pastors right now. Not all of them, some of them. I had the privilege in Miami, Florida, of pastoring a church that was noted multi-ethnic. And a guy came and said, you know, pastor, you've got a multicultural church. And I said, no, I don't. He said, man, I looked at it. It's 30 percent Caribbean African, 20 percent African American, uh, about 20, 30 percent um, American, Caucasian, European. It's about uh, Asia. There's Asian. There's Central America. He said, this is unbelievable. I said, well, it reflects our neighborhood. Praise the Lord. It ought to. And then he said, um, he said, well, that's multicultural. I said, no, 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 no. Culture are the values in how you do business. You can't be multicultural. I said, here's our culture. Our mission is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of every ethnicity. Our message is the gospel leading to the whole counsel of God, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Our culture is the Great Commandment. To love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. That's our culture. And the testimony of the culture is this. The communion of the saints. These different gifted, different ethnic, this heterogeneous people have become one. Those who are a people, those who are not a people, have become the people of God. Not the people of the blue collar. Not the people of the white collar. Not the people with black skin. Not the people with white skin. Not the people with brown skin. Whatever is out there in the parish is being drawn together to be one. They're not a, you can't explain them sociologically and demographically. You can only explain them as the communion of the saints. They are at different levels spiritually. They are at different le- They are unbelievably diverse, but somehow they have this unity. And as I was working through, what passage could I walk you through to understand the communion of the saints in the church visible, militant, on mission, on message, in ministry, that reflects the church triumphant, that God is using to fill up the church triumphant? What does that? What does that? Divine communion look like. Oh, bless communion divine that we just sung. What does it look like? Well, I couldn't go to any other passage but Ephesians 4. Would you turn there with me just for a minute? And I cannot do this justice and won't try to, but I'm going to walk you through it just to highlight a couple of things. Here's the first thing I want you to see. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So now here's what you got to understand. This, by the way, many commentators have noted this. This is not Harry Reader found something. I think he's writing in chapter four what he actually started writing in chapter three, and the Holy Spirit led him in a different direction in chapter three. Harry, why do you say that? This is the only time this is found in the Bible where Paul is writing. Look at he just said, I am what a prisoner for the Lord urge you go back to chapter three, verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, what 
a prisoner for Christ. See, what happens in chapters 1 and 2, he, now listen, in chapters 1 and 2, he tells you of the blessings of the elect in Christ. You're in Christ, Christ is in you, and he outlines all the blessings, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It starts off in Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be the Son of God, blessed be the Spirit of God. Then he develops the church, holy, Catholic, triumphant in chapter 2, and as the body of Christ, the temple of the Lord. Then he gets started in chapter 3. Now I'm going to tell you how to live together for Christ. I, a prisoner for the Lord, calling the other prisoners of the Lord. And as he gets started, he's, he just can't leave the gospel. Look at what he does in chapter 3. Um, I, a prisoner for Christ, on behalf of the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So now he starts another, another um, development of the gospel. And then he finishes that. Now he says, now let me get back to where I was. By the way, don't you see the blood? Can I tell you why I'm pointing that out to you? Do you know who wrote this Bible? Who wrote this Bible? Holy Spirit. Through human agency. Real human beings. Really thinking. Peter's Greek and Paul's Greek's not the same. He uses who they are and how they function. And here Paul is evidencing a slight case of ADD. And he's, he's and then, wait, 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 I got to tell you about this. I'm glad I don't do that. I finish all my sentences fully and everything. I'm glad I don't do that. But so he's, he starts and he said, whoa, I got to finish this out. Then he picks himself back up. So you see what do you see here? The sovereign, the sovereign authorship of the scripture using real human agency. Now, what does he say? I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Note, every Christian is saved not by their walk, but they're saved to walk. You got that? He didn't say, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy to be called. He didn't say, I walk, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy to stay called. He said, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Well, now, we're never worthy, but let's walk in a manner worthy of the worthy one who has called us and set us free. And we are prisoners. We were set free from our sin to become chained to Jesus by grace and love. We are the bondservants and prisoners of the Lord by grace and love. The love of Christ compels us to the walk for Christ. And that walk, we want to honor Christ. So your question, when you make a decision of what you're going to look at at the computer, the TV, what you're going to read, what you're going to do, what you're going to say, the words out of your mouth, is not, what can I say that will set, what can I watch, what can I do that satisfies me? What can I say or do that honors Jesus? That's, that's the way we're supposed to be thinking. That's our worldview. So I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now watch. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, underline, in love, eager to maintain, remember that community, the covenant community in union with the Lord and each other, that you're what? Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, the union of the Spirit In the bond of peace. Now stop right there. Do all of those words sound like something to you? They sound like the fruit of the Spirit, don't they? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying when you walk for Christ, you walk 
in the Spirit. You're led by the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, you begin to grow the fruit. Notice, I didn't say fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's not an a la carte menu. Okay, I'll take love and joy. Um, peace, I'll leave that to somebody else. Gentleness, now I say, honey, would you get gentleness? And, and that's, it's not an a la carte menu. One fruit is a cluster. They all come together. And they lead to each other. Love, to joy, to peace, to patience, to kindness, to goodness, to faithfulness, gentleness. And then a life controlled by the Spirit. The self controlled by the spirit. That's what it does. And then he gives some of these here. And he says, as you're living in love, gently, with humility, I am what I am by the grace of God. And patience, patience with one another. Trying to maintain the bond of unity, not at the expense of truth, but with truth. Not grieving the Spirit, but surrender to the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Then the fruit of the Spirit leads to the unity of the Spirit. And that's where he says that's the communion of the saints. He saves you personally, but not to live individually. He saves you personally to live corporately. Gentleness, humility, and patience. Say, well, Harry, you just don't know. I mean, they just keep doing what they're doing. Uh, y'all ever heard of something called 70 times 7? Well, Pastor, you just don't know. Oh, hold it, wait a minute. All right, you're running out of patience with that person? Yeah, I am. Real question. Do, does, do you think God has to kind of keep working on you? And Is God patient with you? Uh, I think there's your answer. He's patient with you. Let's be patient with one another. Because the one that's patient with you has the Holy Spirit in you, giving the fruit of the Spirit so that you maintain the unity of Spirit. Then he goes to a creed. Look at the creed he gives. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Hey, guess what? You've got unity, and your unity is not in you. Your unity is not in each other. It is that each of you are in him. You've got, and he gives seven points in the creed to your unity. It's an exhaustive creed, but it's an early, it's one of four creeds that Paul writes for us in the scripture. He says that you've got one, you've got, he says you've got one body, that is the body of Christ, and there he's looking at the church Catholic. There is one body, that is the holy Catholic church, triumphant, invisible in the heavens. There is one body, the local church is a manifestation of the church Catholic. It is making visible the invisible. It's not equal to the holy Catholic church, it's a manifestation of the holy Catholic church. There is one body, one spirit, you've got number three, one hope that belongs to your call. Number four, you've got one Lord. Number five, you've got one faith. Number six, you've got one baptism. What he's referring to is the Great Commission. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a, we got one baptism. is Trinitarian baptism. And that Trinitarian baptism then declares one God. That is, one God that dwells in three persons, and that God is Father, notice, transcendent, Father of all, who is over all, 
through all and in all. And there you declares that God the Father is transcendent, he is imminent, and he is permanently engaged. And that is the foundation of our unity. Now, where do all those things, how do you know all those things? The Bible. The Bible gives you all those things. Now, don't miss this. Please don't lose me here. So the Holy Spirit who brought you to Jesus dwells within you. And you're led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, functioning with one another corporately, bringing the unity of the Spirit. But the Spirit's unity is never at the expense of truth. It's based on truth. And it starts with the most important thing revealed to us in the truth. Who is God? Who is God? We are built on this one Lord who has given us one faith. And that faith is not Harry's faith. That faith is not Briarwood's faith. Harry's faith and Briarwood's faith and your faith needs to be in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The word of God. That's where we unite because the Spirit of God works with the Word of God. Put no confidence in the flesh. It is the Spirit who gives life. My words are Spirit and life. It always works. The Spirit of God always works with the Word of God. So then he gives us this unity that comes through the Spirit and truth. And this unity that comes through the Spirit and truth, now he leaves unity and he goes back to diversity. Look. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led, host to cap- he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all things. And as I've said, that would have been a common picture. The king goes into battle. He descends from the throne into battle. He wins the battle and he comes back in victorious and tied to his chariot are all the enemies uh, at least a representation of all the enemies in his chariots full with the booty of the victory and he now ascends back to the throne and he gives gifts to men so Jesus came into the battle he defeated his enemies and he saved his enemies which was you and then when he ascended You legally and positionally ascended with him as the redeemed. And then from heaven, he gives gifts by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who was with him from the womb through the tomb and back to the throne, now from the throne is poured out upon us. And he gives gifts to men. Now, he then starts listing some of those gifts. Look with me. He ascended, he, uh, look at the next verse, 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds, our pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the, oh, here we got another unity, the unity of the faith. You got the unity of the spirit, the unity of the truth, And the unity of the faith, which is the work of the Spirit, bringing the truth to our lives. The faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now let me stop there. So what he is saying is this. He is saying that 
all of you are different. You come from various ethnic, ethnic backgrounds. Uh, we have right in here. I'm looking out. I see some Asians. I see some uh, African background. I see uh, European background. I see uh, all kinds of different backgrounds, North American backgrounds, South American backgrounds. I see all the different ba- ba- backgrounds. And um, and by the way, you're all at different levels spiritually. You've got a measure of Christ's gift at work within you. Not the unmeasured gift. The unmeasured is in the body of Christ. The fullness of Christ is in the body of Christ. But a measure of Christ's grace is at work within you. And part of that measure is to give each one of you a spiritual gift so that you become a part of the body. Paul loves this body picture of the church. And so some of you are hands, some of you are mouths, some of you are eyes, some of you are hand some of your feet uh some of you and don't don't get excited about the more obvious ones that's what we tend you know in a body what is the most important part of the body what you see or what you don't see this isn't hard if my hair falls out can i make it today which by the way it has if my hair falls out will i make it if my liver falls out will i make it to the end of the day no the invisible in the body gifts are usually much more important than the visible ones. And so they are absolutely crucial. And so here is the body where every part counts. The hand can't say to the arm, I don't need you. And the arm can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Here's the problem. <laughs> Some of us don't show up. The part's missing. Or because we're not focused on Christ, the part is debilitated. The part is weakened or diseased. But what he's saying is, is that if with the spirit and the word you're fixed on Jesus, then every part begins to supply what it brings to the table. Oh, blessed communion of the saints. As the body functions together, building itself up in love. As each joint supplies its part. In fact, look how he goes on to explain it. He goes on to explain it this way. He then gives this picture. He gives a negative and he gives the positive. See the negative? He says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love you see what he's saying here here's what he's saying he is saying here is the body each part has been designed by God and given through the Holy Spirit all that you are all that your diversity that's part of the tapestry of what God's bringing together so unity Is not uniformity. Unity is diversity. Brought together. By Christ. With the spirit. And the word. As one. In Christ. Manifested. In a local church. Perfected. In the church triumphant. Here it's mixed. But here's a problem. 
One of the blessings is when the church enjoys its communion of each part, speaking the truth in love and the culture of the great commandment, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul and mind and loving your neighbors yourself. As that is brought to bear within the church in the communion of the saints, that what happens is people begin to mature. People begin to mature in the Lord, becoming more like Christ. And then the church begins to bear the witness of Christ more powerfully to the world. That's what begins to happen. And we we build in an inoculation against false teaching so that we're not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. Because the truth in love is at work from the pulpit to the people. And then work from the pew to one another as we're ministering and speaking the truth and weeping with those who weep and love and rejoice with those who rejoice and all of that is taking place and people start maturing in the Lord because we're gentle and humble and patient with one another and it's the Spirit of God drawing us together supernaturally the Word of God leading us there it's not we all gather around the church or Harry the pastor or this discipler we're all gathered around Jesus through His Word and by His Spirit Communion of the saints in Christ, with Christ, for Christ, with one another. That's what happens. But by the way, when he says that you're not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning of men, what does that tell you? That tells you that's what Satan tries to do. Remember what I said? The church triumphant is holy. The church visible is mixed. There are false sons in her pale. There are false professors. And there are false teachers and preachers. And you can't have communion of the saints when the truth is abandoned or when the spirit is grieved. The spirit and the truth are our foundation and capstone in our union in Christ and communion with one another. Then comes maturity in the Lord and for the Lord. So let me give you a takeaway. Let me give you a takeaway. Oh, one other thing. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot this. Uh, <clears throat> it's interesting, the gifts. He doesn't give all the gifts. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, you go to Romans 12, you see all kinds of gifts. Administration, helps, mercy, all kinds. But here he says, he lists out four gifts, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Four of them. Notice they're all Word-oriented. Back in Ephesians 2, he said, we are built upon the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets, the Bible with Christ the cornerstone. Then, so the apostles and the prophets give us the word, the evangelists spread the word, and then the pastor teachers equip us for the work of ministry. What is the ministry of the Christian and the local church? Four ministries. We have a ministry of upreach to God that's called worship. We have a ministry of outreach to the world that's called evangelism. And this is all given to us in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And then we have a ministry of inreach to love one another. And then we have a ministry of downreach, learning and discipling, being discipled and making disciples. So there's our mission, there's our message, and there's our ministry, and here is our culture. The communion of the saints, 
living out the great commandment together. And each one bringing their gifts with gentleness, humility, and love, speaking the truth in love. Now, there's something that's here that I think is important. Please do not hear me giving this self-serving. I believe the reason the church is impotent, illiterate, and polarized unnecessarily. Now, Paul says there are going to be divisions so that those who are of the truth are approved. But much of our divisions today are carnal. And one of the reasons why is because we do not have pulpit ministries committed to expository preaching. It's more celebrity preaching. Here's my talk. Here's my three stories. Here's my pick-me-up. Here's my coach-me-up. I believe unity does not come without a full-orbed saturation of the Word of God preached, read, studied, and memorized. That is absolutely crucial. The Word of God must saturate. Marinate. You must marinate. Dare I use this word? You must be immersed in it. You must be marinated in it. You must soak in it. And it doesn't end, but it begins with a pulpit ministry committed to expositional preaching. Not to the celebrity status of the pastor. And so here, that's why I think he picks out the word gifts, because you can't speak the truth in love if you don't know the truth. And you can't love with the truth if you don't know the truth. But you're not holding the truth if you don't hold it with love, gentleness, patience, kindness. Speaking the truth in love. As Bishop Ryle says, truth without love is barbarity. Love without truth is cruelty. That the two are made together and then the body builds itself up and out in love for the Lord and with the Lord. So here's your takeaway. Let me just give this to you. The takeaway is simply this. The communion of saints is the result of the saints in communion. With Christ and with one another, empowered by the Spirit of God and saturated with the Word of God. And when there's the communion of the saints, the church will be on mission, on message, and in ministry. This is what was anticipated in Psalm 133. How good! And how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together, the covenant community, to dwell together in love, in peace. Then he gives two word pictures. It's like the oil, you know, the high priest was baptized with water and with oil. So he goes to the oil one. It's like the baptism of the priest. As the oil is poured upon his head, runs down his beard, down to his collar and the hem of his garment. Or it's like the clouds that form from Mount Hermon and then navigate down to Mount Zion and pour forth their dew upon the city of Zion. In such a place is the blessing of God. Life forevermore. Churches 
that communicate the gospel of eternal life are churches that have the communion of the saints. And praise God for Psalm 133, but we live beyond Psalm 133. It's not Aaron we look to, it's Jesus. It's not Mount Zion or Mount Hermon, it's Mount Calvary. And it's not the oil, it's the Holy Spirit. And it is not the wisdom of men, it is the wisdom of God revealed in His Word that is the foundation and the capstone of the communion of the saints. That is what is at work in the people of God. It is a communion that begins with believers being saved personally, being joined together as they are secured and sanctified and sealed together by the Holy Spirit. It is a unity that is embraced with intention, not a uniformity. I just want to, I just want to be with people that are like me. No, I want to be with sinners saved by grace, and I want all different kind of colors. I want all different kind of social backgrounds. I want all different kind of gifts and ability, and all kind of different levels of spiritual maturity. That all of that is at work. But it's intentional. You remember in Acts 2.42, and the, and the early church was what? They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Preaching of the word. Then the fellowship. The communion of the saints. Then God's even given us a covenant meal to help us in the communion of the saints. The breaking of the bread. The Lord's Supper. And then the return of praise to God and the prayers of his people. That is what God has given to us. That's what we can enjoy when we're saturated with the word of God. And by the grace of God, with the spirit of God, we work at speaking the truth in love and building up the body of Christ with gentleness, humility, patience, the fruit of the spirit that brings the unity of the spirit based upon the unity of the truth, all resting in Christ alone. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. You see those words, bond of peace, bond of love. The Greek word could be translated belt or tie. Now I've tried to set you up. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. There's a song when I was a kid growing up in church that we sang about eight times a year. After every communion service, usually at the New Year's Eve service, and a couple of other times during the year. It's a song that would be very difficult for us to do the way we used to do it because you always held hands. I used to love it. And at that moment, introverts were just, they could not stand that moment until it got started. You mean I got to hold hands with somebody? Extroverts, they'll say, why don't we do this every week? But we would join hands in that little First Alliance church. A couple of hundred people joined hands. And we would sing a wonderful song. It was written by John Fawcett. He was an orphan. Was sold into indentured servitude as a teenager. His master let him go to London and during the Great Awakening, to hear the preaching of George Whitfield, he was in a he was in one service, one outdoor preaching with over twenty thousand. He heard the gospel and came to Christ. 
Somehow he got educated and into the ministry. He got a little village church in West Yorkshire, barren, cold, small village, not many people. His salary was two pounds a year. Had no manse, no parsonage. They just moved him and his family from home to home every couple of months. He served faithfully for seven years. I've got some of his sermons. He served faithfully for seven years. Then came the call from Carter's Lane Church, the great church in London, the big one. John Gill, their pastor, had retired. And they called John Fawcett. 25 pounds a year. <laughs> this beautiful manse. And all, and a garden that he could grow his own produce, not just wait for somebody to bring something for his family to eat. He struggled with it and finally accepted. He announced it to his church and they all got together to pack his meager belongings and a couple of books into the wagon. They didn't have, you know, you didn't call a moving van back then. And as they packed it all in, all in, they then, he and his wife and kids gathered up on top of the wagon. And before they left, they all gathered around him and sing the doxology and pray a prayer of benediction upon him. But they couldn't finish the doxology. It was reminiscent of when Paul left the church at Ephesus and the elders fell upon him and held him and kept kissing him. They just couldn't finish the song. The weeping even the wailing of the small church losing their pastor whom they loved. Somehow got to the end of it. John Fawcett flicked the reins. And as the wagon moved away, he turned and looked at his wife. And his wife looked at him. John, are we doing the right thing? And he said, I'm so glad you asked. He said, no, we're not. And they turned the wagon back around for 45 years of ministry. Everyone asked him, why would he do such a foolish thing? You had a bigger platform. You could take care of your family. He finally, instead of answering each question, he wrote a hymn. He wrote a hymn that many of us sing to try to express what was in his heart. Blessed be the tie that binds. Our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne, we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our alms, our one. Our comforts and our cares. And yes, we share our mutual woes. But people ask me, Pastor, do you think this pandemic, we're not, we're not going to have, um, you know, we're going to start a virtual church? Are you kidding me? Now we're going to weep with those who weep. We're going to get face to face. We're going to reach out. We're going to love one another. We share our, we share our mutual woes, our birth, mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain. But we shall yet be joined in heart. And soon we meet again. Let's pray. God, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Friend, if you've not taken that first step.
to be emancipated from your sin and to be the prisoner of the love of God in Christ. May I invite you to him today. If you'd like to talk with me, we'll arrange whatever is convenient for you. Come to Christ. And he'll bring you into the body of Christ manifested in a local church. And, oh, Lord, please allow us to enjoy that fellowship divine, that communion of the saints, blessed communion, where the fruit of the Spirit and the truth of the Word, spoken in love, provides the belt or the tie that binds us together. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.